Hello and welcome to the Really Rated, a movie discussion podcast. I'm your host, Mitchell Stevens, and this is my co-host, Jess Andrews. Hello. How are you this week, Jess? Oh, I'm fabulous, thank you. The snow is due to come, so I'm excited for that. Do you want to build a snowman? I do want to build a snowman. <laughs> but Jess, I just have to ask you, are, are you okay, ma'am? Are you okay? There's a, there's a train coming. It's the express. It's really fast. <laughs> Dress me as if I am that man. <laughs> so Mitchell, what, what exactly is the context of your little joke? <laughs> well, today we'll be talking about While You Were Sleeping. Um, it is a Sandra Bullock and Bill Pullman vehicle. <laughs> a screwball comedy, as uh, Wikipedia described it. <laughs> I never got that when I first watched it, but I can kind of see on, on a rewatch, I'm like, yeah, it's pretty screwball. <laughs> what people call screwball, I think, is farce as mm. he, i know as, i know there's a difference because farce is a series of more more ridiculous occurrences occurring one after the other yeah. but this is pretty ridiculous this film <laughs> <laughs> like starting from a tiny white lie that turns into a massive whopping black lie <laughs> <laughs> to um defend my choice i chose it because we like to focus on the films that are a little bit underappreciated and i feel like this one is massively underappreciated in the entire genre so that is why today we're going to be picking it apart discussing what we love discussing what we didn't like and trying to figure out if it deserves a bit of a higher place up up near harry and sally and you know the Mo Ryans. <laughs> oh, oh, definitely. It is it's definitely underrated because um, I revealed at the end of last month's podcast that I haven't actually seen this, which is kind of a shock because I'm a massive Sandra Bullock fan. Oh, who isn't? <laughs> well, I I did a bit of research because I wanted to, you know, not come into this podcast totally a novice about the film. It is surprising considering it is her first, certainly her first leading role. Am I right? I think Speed was the year before, wasn't it? But you could sort of say that was more of a Keanu Reeves vehicle, like literally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is. Um, I'd say it's fairly equal, but I suppose when they were marketing it, it would definitely be a Keanu Reeves thing. Yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, right. she definitely, it definitely established her as a Hollywood actress that you can take seriously and put in a film and then trust that she's going to do her job to the best of her ability. Very efficient is our Sandy. <laughs> yeah, because you could tell, uh, going back, I know it's not a speed podcast, but when you watch that film, you can definitely tell she's kind of like uh, green, shall we say? Like mm. she's quite new to the game. And even by this film, and I believe, is it 1994? Is it 1994 for both of them? Is it 95? Uh, I believe this one was released in 1995. So, but she might have recorded it, uh, filmed it in... Um, it's quite possible that it was at the same time, yeah. So even by the time she gets into this film, I'd say that she's... She's the Sandra Bullock that we know and recognise today. Like, I think she's on her game. Yeah, I agree. I um, I found out the other day that she's like 54, 55 years old, which blew my mind. I know. We're all inching slowly towards death every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if I look like Sandra Bullock at 55, then whew, I'll be happy. <laughs> so Jess, give us your reasoning for picking this film and some of the background on the film and how it was received at the time. Because like I said, uh, I did a bit of research, but not a lot. Um, I'm a complete novice, so I wanted to hear you not defend the film, because not to spoil my review at the end, but I did enjoy the film. Just give us your reasoning for why you want to talk about it. Basically, I must admit, it is a complete guilty... Not even not even guilty, it's a pleasure of mine. It's one of my favourite films, and it was received pretty well on release, actually, which is not surprising, considering that the 90s was, like, the rom-com peak period, wasn't it? And... 
you could not go to the cinema without there being at least one on. Was there a Hugh Grant film out at the time? I bet there was. Probably. I think it was probably Four Weddings and a Funeral. Oh, Hugh. Oh, Hugh. But no, I, I think it's it's one of those films that's quite of its time as well. Given that it was mid-90s, you could not have a film like this in the in the 2000s. One quick Google, the whole lie would be off. <laughs> oh, that's true. I didn't, I didn't think of that when I was watching this. Yeah, that's part of its charm, I think, that it's quite... It's quite innocent. <laughs> that is a word I would describe the film as quite innocent. It's very innocent. Bless it, bless it. Yeah, it made a lot, it made a lot of money actually compared to its original budget. It was 17 million and it made 180 million at the box office. So wow. You're looking at 163 profit million, which is astounding. And no wonder that Sandra Bullock <laughs> And Bill Pullman got uh, lots of movies after that. We're talking about how this is her first like leading role, like so definitely starring role. Yeah, and for her to bring that much money in, it definitely established her career right off the bat. Yeah. Also, it's quite a um, I don't know what the word would be, but it's a it's a VHS movie. It's you know it's one of those films that you know when you go to the movies and it's like a big action thriller, and you're at the movies and it's like wow, you have a great cinematic experience. But there's certain films that you just want to watch at home on the sofa. So I think it's one of those, actually. So the actual DVD sales, Blu-ray, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> downloads now, those sales are probably a lot higher, but I couldn't find any information on that. But I think it did really well, and so it deserved to. Um, it was directed by John Turtletorp, <laughs> which is a really odd name. <laughs> um, but it was funny because I was, I was, when I was um, watching it again, I was thinking, God, I know I know that name. You know, it's quite, it's quite a strange name. I'm sure I've heard it before. So I did a little bit of Googling, and he directed Cool Runnings, which everyone loves. National Treasure, which everyone loves. Oh, what? The, the National Treasure? With... Yeah, The National Treasure and the sequel. Oh, I love those films. I don't think I've se- seen all of them. I mean, I've seen bits of them, you know, but I've, not, I've never sat down. But the general feeling that I get when I talk to people about it is, like, they love it. And he also recently directed The Meg. <laughs> Which I yeah, which I'm yet to see. But um, I love directors that can jump around different genres and just don't stick to their niche. Because like I would never watch his film and think to myself, oh yeah, that's the guy that directed National Treasure and the Meg. Yeah. Because yeah. I like I said, I just watched Meg recently in cinema and I would never think that this is the guy that directed a rom com. I thought it was a new star. So I don't know what it says about the film. Well, I, I assumed when the first when the trailers came out that it would have been someone like um like Rennie Harlan or somebody. <laughs> or um roland emmerich but but no he's a jack of all trades i should also mention yeah, the composer is randy um edelman another one that i was thinking yeah i definitely know that name so after a bit more googling i found out he's the guy that scored anaconda what wow yep um ghostbusters 2 Dragonheart. which oh my god that that score is beautiful i would recommend anybody to youtube that bad boy um so it'll give you all sorts of feels again he's got a really varied career because he did like my cousin Vinny, drop dead fred beethoven which is the one that i knew him from <laughs> <laughs> i remember seeing it in the credits and i was little <laughs> um so and i think the score is is just lovely for this film did you like it did you notice it at all yes and that's one of the points i was going to get on to so i might just bring it up now you know the bits where, especially the bits where the lie starts to, not sorry, not unravel, but that it is used for that point as well. But you know there's a little orchestral score underneath when she either is about to tell a lie or she's about to get caught in something. Yeah. And I really appreciate that because it added a bit of charm mm. 
to the film, but also to her. Yeah. Going into Sandra Bullock herself, I found that Lucy, and I don't know whether you disagree or not, but I felt felt that she was a bit of a girl Friday. And what I mean by that is the term girl Friday is used in like neo-noir, even noir films about a girl is often the psychic to a detective, but she's always charming. She's never a sexual character, but she's always someone that you can rely on. She's often comedic. And I think it's a bit, I can't I find it hard to separate Lucy from Sandra Bullock herself because having seen so much of her career from then to now, I often feel like Sandra Bullock is often cast in a role for her, not for what she can bring to it, if that makes sense. Because like, if you, yeah. like if I want to film, especially like uh, The Proposal, mm. I feel like she's playing against type in that film, but it's still her. Yeah, I mean, as the film goes on, it becomes more more of her, doesn't it? But Yeah, definitely. <laughs> in the beginning, you can definitely tell she's trying not to be herself. But so for someone like Lucy, I couldn't think of anyone else to have picked other than Sandra Bullock because she's she's instantly likable she's instantly like I know she has a bit of like you know, don't mess with me something that I really like about the score as well is that it kind of I know that most scores are supposed to do this but I feel especially in this film it's kind of like her inner feeling like you know if you imagine your life as a movie and you've got like the yeah. score you know like when you're running for the bus and you've got dun, 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 <laughs> which I often do <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like because obviously she's um she talks a little bit in the beginning anyway, so you've got a bit of an inner like monologue going on. The score does a really good job of kind of musically telling you what she's thinking. So like you said, when she's about to tell a lie or whatever, it kind of gets a bit a bit panicky. And like in the sentimental moments, you've got that nice that nice score, and I just really enjoy it. I feel like you just know her character so well. I mean, you know that I love a good narration. So the film opening up, like, so I was sitting down to watch it and I was thinking, and, and to be honest, I had a bit of preconceived notions because I was like, I'm not the biggest fan of rom-coms. It has to be quite a special rom-com for me to actually want to watch it. Yeah. So I was sitting down and then instantly I get this like charming score when you're following the railroad tracks mm-hmm. and it was sort of like up and cheery and I was like, oh, I want to watch, you know, I want to get into this. And it's that song. Oh, who sung it? Is it? Um... Oh, it's, um, I believe it's Dusty Springfield. That instantly got me into the film. That's the power of music. And then you have uh, Sandra Bullock. The first uh, impression we get of her is her as a child of her dad. And she's, you know, talking to us. And then you get that instant connection, which again, just adds to the charm of the film and charm to Lucy herself. And I don't know about you, Jess, but for a split second, I had to double take her dad. Now, I didn't know Peter Gallagher was in this film. But when I saw her dad, I actually thought to myself, hang on a minute. Is that is that Papa Cohen from the OC? <laughs> they do look similar. And I think that's a really good point, you know, because I think the reason is never said, it's never said in the film, but... What I infer from it is because Peter... Um, Gallagher. Yeah, there's Peter Boyle and Peter Gallagher, and I get confused between the two names. <laughs> Peter Gallagher looks so much like her dad, and I feel like that's why she falls for him. She's got slight daddy issues. <laughs> oh, definitely. She has big daddy issues. <laughs> yeah. So I think the, the tall, dark, and handsome thing is like, that's the reason. But it's such a nice opening as well, because quite often, especially in these sort of films, you don't really get that introduction to them as a child i think that really endears you to a character and also i think like i don't know whether or not it, it might be a 90s trope definitely 80s 90s trope but the narration's kind of died out in modern films as well these days yeah some some films will still use them but i think it's become more of a oh that's an old trope that we're going to move away from 
because I think people have started doing the whole kind of show not tell which is a great rule to live by like if you're a screenwriter and a filmmaker but I think a narration is often underappreciated for what it can bring to a film it can be cheesy if they don't do it right yes like um, I, I read that at one point Christopher Columbus was meant to be directing this and I can remember thinking oh my goodness I'm so glad he didn't because I feel like if he was to do it it would have become incredibly cheesy <laughs> so well done I was going to call him Turtle. <laughs> yeah, we'll call him Turtle. I'm I'm pleased that um he did it because I think his vision his vision was just on the just in the right level of cheese and definitely. Well, talking about cheese, like just while we're on the subject of the beginning opening part, did you notice the guy taking a dive on the ice? Yeah. <laughs> okay, because so they used loads of stock uh, stock footage of Chicago, you know, setting the scene and that, like where where it's going to take place. And the last shot you get before it goes into the flashback is just this guy taking a dive on the ice. So I was thinking to myself, <laughs> why would you use that? Because I like, instantly just sort of it took me out of it a little bit. Oh really? But then I realised that it's a thing that he's either setting up where he likes to do because there's that guy taking a dive on the ice and then there's that paper boy later, later on taking a dive yeah <laughs> and then you have jack and sandra uh, jack and uh, sorry lucy later on well that's do you know what it's funny you mentioned that because that is i think that is the reason that he does it because i think otherwise because that scene where they have the like ice <laughs> <cuff-uffle> yeah <laughs> is um uh, some some might call it cheesy i think it's quite sweet really i think it's quite realistic but um, yeah it's definitely their meet you yeah but he's building up that that would happen you know it, it's it's christmas time it's icy that sort of thing would happen so i i think i think it's completely intentional to be honest or or if it was a mistake he chose to keep it in for that reason because i noticed it because it was so like out of character like for stock footage you wouldn't have someone taking a dive you'd because uh, you'd want something quite clean quite precise you know just stock footage of people mulling around it did stand out to me and then when, uh, but then as soon as i saw the paperboy thing i was thinking oh no this guy just has something <laughs> you know has a thing for people just stacking it <laughs> He loves you been framed. <laughs> and it wasn't until I got to that meet cute bit. Oh, that was definitely setting up. And I took it in terms of like, it was encompassing uh, Lucy's loneliness and sort of you need someone to literally hold you up. Yeah. Especially she does as we sort of come to learn. So I think it was definitely intentional and it was leading up to this point where you realise that what she's doing is that she's not just lying because she likes this guy. Uh, Peter Gallagher she's lying because she's suddenly fallen in love with the family yeah exactly so I like that he like you said either intentional or or unintentional but it definitely sort of those two moments did spring to mind when I saw this that scene so it it worked I think it's showed uh, mastery over playing with your emotions or at least setting up what to expect from this you know what could be just a cheesy scene of them just falling about on the ice i took it as meaning something deeper Do you know i must i must say sometimes you know people being clumsy in movies especially they always do it in rom-coms where the lead female not usually the man but usually the female is always like super super clumsy and like oh i'm so i'm so adorable because i'm so clumsy i find a bit offensive not offensive but a bit like oh it's so tired well her her character gracie in miss congeniality springs to mind when you say that she's she's the definition of clumsy but um what i like about the movie itself actually is that all the characters are a little bit kind of fallible yeah you know she's not the only idiot there's like a ton of characters in there none of them are perfect and I really like that. It's not just her being the, the token idiot. 
the writing is impeccable in my opinion i mean there are, are some some of the characters you know are a little bit not unbelievable because i even believe is it joe jr <laughs> <laughs> he's still single I, I still believe his character is someone that could exist in chicago like, oh, yeah. right now just definitely at the time as well <laughs> yeah definitely but for me it the writing made these characters believable and that's half the job of a screenwriter it's immediately apparent with Lucy, like when she's pulling in that Christmas tree into her into her. Oh yeah. Because how else is she gonna get a tree into her into, into her apartment? Yeah, not not upstairs. Uh, so maybe that's not logical at all. But well, thinking about it, I think actually it's telling you something about her character because she could quite easily have gone, "Oh, Joe Junior, can you take the tree up the stairway for me?" And you know he would have done, but she's an independent woman. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And also, I think there's this little bit of... It's, it's ironic that she's not from Chicago, but I, when I was watching this, I didn't know that. At the t- well, no. They tell you the narration, but I didn't really pick up on that. I just oh, thought she was from, like... Um, she's from Wisconsin. Milwaukee. But I just thought she was... Um, Chicago native just because of the way her attitude is yeah. she might have obviously acclimatised given that she's been there for so long but I would think there's a bit of her like Chicago toughness yeah. you know this is a girl who's independent she's from Chicago bitch I'm from Chicago <laughs> <laughs> and it makes sense well to play into like her loneliness is that she's not native so she's not going to have loads of school friends and people that knew her family you know her dad and mum so it does make sense that's a, that's a good point I didn't think of that but yeah so we so we have the um the intro which is grand and sets the scene really well and then we fast forward to her in her early 30s late 20s I'd assume I wouldn't say she's any younger than that would you no she's not any younger than that um thing is though it she definitely looks young but Bill Pullman looks not old yeah but he's always looked old <laughs> he's always looked old true but even even all the family now now that you, now I've mentioned it, I want to jump to the family because I have some opinions on them. Yeah, and we can we can jump back and forth. But when we are introduced to the family, I found it really trouble like troubling to to, to decipher who was who. Oh really? <laughs> because so you've got Peter Boyle, who my heart just melt when I saw him. I was like, I can't believe he's in this film. It, it, it actually sort of elevated the film for me. Really? Because <laughs> he's so funny. So I could tell that he's meant to be the dad and his wife i could decipher who they were yeah but it's saul and then it's the older lady i was thinking are you the grandparents because you can't be the grandparents because the guy is probably the same age as peter boy yeah <laughs> so i was thinking to myself are you a granddad are you an uncle because the way he was talking to the nan which is the um peter boyle's wife's mum i believe they had this kind of like bickering marriage relationship yeah i must admit i never really picked up on that when i was younger but it's i mean i suppose i should read it as they're friends, but no, you're right. Did you have a bit of a old married couple thing going on? And it wasn't until later that when he states that he is, you know, um, Peter's godfather, that I was like, oh, okay, I know who you are now. But I think it adds to the whole uh, chaos that Lucy's feeling, though, because you're like, these, <laughs> yeah. this family just comes in and she's like, who are you? And I'm thinking the same thing. Well, it's like when you meet any, when you get a new partner, not that he's her partner, but <laughs> when you're introduced to a new family, you do have to kind of scope the area, don't you? And sort of figure out, oh, okay, that's so-and-so's son. Oh, they were divorced, now they're back together. <laughs> but another aspect of the film that I liked, and this relates to, because does this all happen on Christmas Day when he actually falls on the track? Um... Yes. So first of all, first of all, I love the bit where the boss is like, "Oh, so Sandra B, you're single, so you can work Christmas Day." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although to be fair, I I 
never, when I watched it, I never really thought he was being out of order. I thought, well, he's kind of right. Like, I know it's awful, but, you know, she is the only one without a family. All the other families are going to be gutted. Yeah, that is true. It's only her, it's only her cat her cat's going to miss her. <laughs> No, but yeah, but I found her boss so charming, and um, I'll get into the side characters in a moment because I, they do give some awful piece of advice. They do, her. but I love I love the all side characters. I think they're hilarious. So she's working Christmas Day, and I'm just thinking, okay, that's fine. But I was thinking, who are you going to see on Christmas Day? Yeah, the odd couple traveling here and there, getting going to see family. But where on earth was Peter Gallagher on his way to? Was he on his way to the family home? I don't think so, because. Didn't they, don't they make mention that he's like barely seen them? But I assumed that he was on his way to work. But he's a lawyer, isn't he, I think? So I don't... Because <laughs> they carry pencils. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so I'm not really sure, but... It didn't, it didn't bother me because when I was watching it, I just thought... Because it actually took me for a, a split second to realise that we are on Christmas Day when, you know, she's sitting there... Yeah. Uh, head in hand and she's just playing with the tokens it actually takes me a second to realize that oh this is christmas day see peter again and i was thinking oh hang on a minute it's christmas day where is he off to because he he looked really smart but not even smartly dressed for christmas just smartly dressed for work and i was thinking you're on your way to work like and then obviously the really botch mugging happened but is it was it even a mugging it looked really kind of like that's never really spoken about is it they just they just say he got pushed so it could be that i think they're trying to take his briefcase aren't they that's what i was thinking because they're trying to grab they're grabbing his briefcase and they're playing with his scarf and the next thing you see him might just fall might get pushed yeah i'd left him (laughs) (laughs) well i was just thinking you know when she jumps onto the track so she jumps onto the track and then like she's trying to wake him up and like go back to the joke i said at the beginning where he's like she's like um that's the express coming and it's really fast (laughs) it's an express well if it was an overground service you know in the uk especially in london i said you'd be fine because they'd be running late or cancelled yeah. <laughs> you would have had time i mean i'm actually not sure how she got the superhuman strength to lug his dead weight over <laughs> over those rails and underneath the thingy well she's used to dealing with trains because you know in speed you know when she's on that speeding train at the end <laughs> bitch it's not it's not the same person <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is in my mind. That's why she's lonely. Keanu died. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but she's, she replaces him in the second film. It's fine. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, let's not, let's not talk about that. That's just depressing. No, and I wouldn't say it's an upgrade either. I think it's more of a downgrade. <laughs> definitely a downgrade. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> so she saves his life and he gets taken into hospital. Yes. Um, for some reason, she goes with him. I'm not really sure why and why she's allowed to leave the train station, but hey-ho. <laughs> That's a good point. Who's manning? Who's manning the train station? The medics wouldn't say to her like, "Oh, you saved the guy, this guy's life." You know, do you want to come with? They would say to her, "Thank you for saving his life. We'll let you know if he's okay." Yeah, definitely. They'd take a they'd take a number, or they'd say, "Just ring, you know, the train station." Be all right. Yeah, who's manning the booth? Yeah, but this is but this is rom com land, so we don't need to worry too much about that. I mean, it might have been a half day because the trains don't run all day. I don't think. So they get in, and she, for some bizarre reason says to herself oh i'm just gonna marry him <laughs> which is the sort of thing that i say about the rock on a daily basis but <laughs> <laughs> who wouldn't <laughs> i know um but somebody a, a nurse overhears her and that is the uh, ball starts rolling then the lies upon lies i love the nurse because she's she's this you could just so tell that she's this eternal romantic do you know what it is she wants her rom-com moment yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so she hears Sandra B going like, oh, I'm going to marry that guy. And she's thinking, oh, I could be the side character that helps this, you know. That's literally what she could be thinking in that scene. Yeah. And so she's thinking, oh, I'm going to help facilitate this. And I'm going to then turn up in the rest of the film at opportune moments and then <laughs> have my moment and even be at the wedding at the end. <laughs> so to be fair, when she's brought in and the family arrive, she doesn't actually have that much of a chance to explain herself because they just go blah, 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 blah. No, I absolutely agree, yeah. Like, I think if, if they had been quieter and everything, she would have been able to go, oh, no, and I think she does try to say, like, oh, wait, hold on. But she can't get a word in ways, like for most families. <laughs> what I do like is that... Um, we'll go back to the family bit because I, I want to talk about a few of the characters again. But, um, you know, at the when she finally gets away from them and she says to the nurse... Why? <laughs> but please, though... <laughs> this this nurse who has inserted herself into the narrative <laughs> she's she's not a bitch but she's like oh next time just tell yourself you're single and i'm thinking okay number one harsh yeah <laughs> number two she wasn't speaking to you anyway you just went off on your own yeah like a renegade and went right i'm gonna take you into the, i'm gonna take you into the into the uh room and say that this is his fiance uh no <laughs> I suppose you could say that she's like the uh, the guardian angel of the story. Like, you know, she does end up giving Lucy the uh, family she wants. But on the other hand, <laughs> she's a little shit stirrer. <laughs> she definitely is. <laughs> it just made me laugh because you're absolutely right. She, there are po- points where Lucy's trying to tell them. She's like, oh, no, 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 I'm not. I'm not. Something quite interesting, actually, is that um, originally when the script was written... Also, the, the film was written by two men, which isn't common in this sort of genre. But apparently... Uh, Lucy was written as a man to begin with, and it was a woman in a coma. But the uh, studio execs said that it was, like, way too creepy, and that people would, you know, think, ooh, that's, like, stalker behaviour. Definitely. So it was rewritten, and then it was picked up. So clearly women are less scary than men, <laughs> apparently. That would work today, because that because people would be like... Because, obviously, we've had so many romantic comedies through the years, um, now that would be heralded as, oh, refreshing. Yeah. And it's an interesting <laughs> spin. Like, for instance, there's a remake of Splash in the works, but the roles have been reversed. Merman. <laughs> I'm a merman. <laughs> okay, that's quite interesting. Hmm. Yeah, and um, I think they're going for the whole kind of, like, 22 Jump Street because they've cast Channing Tatum as the merman. Oh, really? <laughs> I'm excited <laughs> to see it. I think it could work. But my point is, if that was done... Say, for instance, they were to remake While You Were Sleeping Now, I could so see them reversing the roles again Yeah. and doing it that way because it, it could also play very differently. And also, I think it depends who you cast. Yes. Like, so, for instance, uh, last night we were watching Molly's Game. Oh, yeah. And Michael Sarah pops up. Now, could you imagine a Michael Sarah type? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> could you imagine? You wouldn't think he was. Well, no, maybe you would think he was creepy. But <laughs> if I woke up from a coma and Michael Sarah was saying he was my fiance, I'd be like, "What was I smoking?" <laughs> Which is a good point, actually, because it's quite funny how when it gets announced to the family that Lucy is his fiance. That they don't believe it. They're like they do, but they're they're very skeptical. They're like, oh, and you can tell they're thinking he would never go for someone like this. Yes, that's what I was thinking. Which is kind of mean, but it it's completely understandable. When you when you meet Ashley though, who is the one that they say, oh, did you steal Ashley? From, did you steal him from Ashley? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's definitely a compliment towards Lucy though. When you actually meet her, you think because I have to say, like spoilers. When we actually meet Peter when he comes out of a coma, 
oh my god, I am with Jack on this. He sucks. <laughs> yeah, he's. Oh my god. I mean, we'll get into all that when he wakes up. But he. I mean, I mean, I never really thought he was that great. Like in the beginning, I guess I'm just not really a fan of like the kind of you know model type man, but. He's so you can tell he's just quite sleazy and quite kind of obsessed with his obsessed with his looks. Yeah, and you know when he's asleep, <laughs> he he has the worst sleep face. If I had to sleep next to that, I would smother him <laughs> because he's definitely pouting. You know, he's like yeah. his lips are going. Ooh, I just can't. I just can't stop looking at his eyebrows all the way through. Oh, I know that's you know trademark. You know Peter Gallagher eyebrows. Yeah, I mean I've known him. It's a bit hard for me to see him as like a leading man like Lothario type because I was introduced to him as like Papa Cohen in the OC as like a dad. Yeah. Well, I think the the, the good thing about him being so bleh is, well, one, in every romantic comedy, there's always got to be the fall guy, hasn't there? You know, the one that loses out. I mean, Bill Pullman was the fall guy in, I think it was Sleepless in Seattle. You know, the the obstacle for the <clears throat> main players to um to overcome, so to speak. But I thought it's quite interesting because... He's definitely kind of the personification of like too good to be true because she just idolizes him. She thinks, oh, he's amazing. You know, I'm going to fantasize about this life we could have together and how wonderful and funny and kind he is. And then to find out that he's not all that is kind of reassuring, I think, to (laughs) to sad single ladies like myself watching it. (laughs) Yeah, there's always this trope, you know, where it's like you you can't judge a book by its cover, especially if it's always the uh, object of your affection that turns out not to be the guy that you're meant to be. Like, because you have that in Bridget Jones' diary, you know. um, Yeah, (laughs) Daniel Cleaver. Turns out to be not the right guy for her. But um, so when he actually woke up, I was was actually shocked... (sighs) Maybe I shouldn't have been shocked to find out that you're such a douche, given that the, that's the trope. You know, the guy that you long for isn't actually who you think he is. To be fair to him, I suppose, if you want to look at it another way, if you were going about your life with your Ashley Bartlett Bacon girlfriend, <laughs> you know, high-flying lawyer with one ball, if you had a, went to a coma and woke up and your family were just telling you, oh, yeah, this is your, this is your girlfriend, you know, you love her, blah, 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 blah. I can kind of understand how he'd be like a bit wet about it all. But let, let's jump to because it's okay to jump around. Let's jump to when he wakes up because I just want to just just to talk about the characters because I get what you're saying. Because especially that bit where he sort of goes, "Do I like cello?" <laughs> that is pretty funny. And all his family just look at him, go, "Yum." <laughs> <laughs> So I get where you're coming from, and I would totally understand that as well. You know, the the fact that you're waking up and you're being told you have amnesia just because you don't recognise your fiance. It's a bit, in a way, it's a bit gaslighting, isn't it? Like they're trying to make him feel like he's crazy, and he's not. But then there's moments where you just think, oh no, guy, you you, you do suck. Like when he turns around to Jack and says, um, no, so he says to Lucy herself, which is even worse. Lucy, I might as well marry you. No, no, he he says, um, my family love you i might as well love you oh ouch it just it just shows that he has so little kind of sentiment in his heart he's just like i might as well i mean who says that who says i might as well love you you can't imagine jack saying that can you like i agree with you like he is being gaslighted he's being told by his family that you know this is a woman that you love this is your fiance and like in their defense it does make sense they're being told that this is <laughs> this is what's his fiance so they're putting they're putting two two together and thinking like well he has amnesia but it's the things that he says 
that I'm just like, well, actually reveals him to be, you know, not a nasty person, but obviously a materialistic and quite shallow person. So in a way, I do respect him in the fact that he wants to be a better person. So he's come out of this amnesia as thinking that, you know, I want to live my life better than how I was living it. Because obviously, like you said, um, we find out that he hasn't spoken to his family in quite a while. And you've got to imagine, even though Ox, which is Peter Boyle's character, like the father, even though he seems to be to be understanding, I took it as in there was kind of probably a nasty animosity between him and his son when his son decided to go off and be a lawyer he makes little he makes little um kind of snide comments you know about ashley's name and about his teeth <laughs> they're caps <laughs> 600 bucks a tooth <laughs> it kind of it kind of implies that he had to pay for them as well which might be reason why he's pissed off you know he's gone off and been like a really successful lawyer that makes loads of money lives in a fancy apartment and he's there trying to um keep his business afloat we see that at the end of the film when uh like peter's talking and he's saying all these things and jack's like oh you suck we see that he's you know slowly as the film's gone on he started falling in love with lucy and i have to say when we first met jack i was sort of first of all i was sort of like oh he's dreamy yeah. and then i just like think to myself hang on a minute this is bill pullman though you know you you don't fancy bill pullman <laughs> see i do <laughs> do you yeah i always have done <laughs> it's his voice it's all gravelly Ooh. but do you think he has this sort of commands the room and in, in a sort of like you know because he's the romantic lead because i was kind of like unimpressed by him and i didn't like jack for the early stages of the film i think it's meant to be the point though i think because lucy is like kind of in her own little bubble and she she doesn't have any like desire to be center of attention she just wants to live a nice chilled out life with a nice family you know no no pomp and circumstance so i think jack being so like kind of laid back and just just there is more what she wants because can you imagine if lucy was to get with peter can you imagine what their life would be like She'd hate it because she'd be constantly having to go to these poshy parties. You know, he'd be like praising her around like a trophy. Because I firmly believe, even though uh, Peter wakes up and he's like, I want to be a better person. I don't think he ends up with Ashley because I think he burnt that bridge. Yeah. Oh, so and also she has a husband. So she's not <laughs> yeah, end up with. <laughs> you proposed to a married woman. <laughs> and then Nana's just taking pictures. <laughs> <laughs> But I strongly believe he goes back to his old ways. Like, he's still a lawyer. I still imagine he ends up with this uh, well-to-do woman and has probably 2.4 children. Because there were points of the film that I felt a bit uneasy. And mainly because I was thinking to myself, because I'm so on the side of Lucy, and then there's this lie that just spirals out of control. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh... Like, it's an innocent lie, I get that. But then you're playing with people's emotions and yeah. I was sort of, like, uneasy. Yeah. So when he... So when Jack arrives and he starts sort of, like, sniff, sniffing out the truth and he, or what he thinks the truth, <laughs> and we get various versions of his <laughs> truth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I, it almost sort of made myself sort of rally against him. Not that I was cheering for her to end up with Peter. But it made me feel a bit like just at odds with the fact that he's trying to sniff out the truth and then that would lead to her being shamed by everyone. Shamed! Yeah, it's it's a really hard one because, like, you're, you don't really know where your morals lie, do you? It's, no. Uh, but I wouldn't say, because the problem that I have with a lot of these sort of um, plots where, you know, there's the the fast they have to, like, hold up. Like, for instance, you know, like, in You've Got Mail? Yeah. 
Have you ever seen that? I've seen bits of it. So basically, very vaguely, Tom Hanks um, and Meg Ryan are emailing each other. And in real life, they know each other and they're competing business people. They've both got bookshops and he wants to kind of like ruin her business. Um, so they're like, so on the one hand, they're like getting on really well and emailing and stuff and falling in love. And on the other hand, they're competing. Now, it would have been fine if the whole way through the movie, Tom Hanks didn't know who he was talking to. But about a third of the way through the movie, he realizes that, that she is the same person and he carries on the lie the whole way through the movie. <gasps> so he manipulates her to get her to close down her bookshop and basically like bankrupt her. And then at the end, she's like, I love you. And it's like, what? Oh my God. <laughs> he is like, he's morally like abhorrent. <laughs> so, so in that kind of way, it's like, oh, you make my skin cruel. But because Lucy's lie is a complete like, snowball of like misdemeanors and like accidental like misunderstandings you're on her side yeah and she's not totally at fault here like she she the, after the hospital part and she goes to her boss and she explains what's going on yeah and he says to her like oh you might as well you might as well carry on it's he goes you know it's like shooting grandma <laughs> <laughs> see that bit i think is definitely not realistic however it's a good way of kind of keeping her on the moral high ground to stop her looking creepy. <laughs> yes, I agree. And also, because even though I do like Sol as a character, he's hilarious. <laughs> he, uh, he overhears her talking to him at night, basically just fessing up, saying like, you know, yeah. I, I could love you, I've, I, I, you know, but not this way. Because that was the part I was a little bit confused by. I was thinking, did he hear everything or did he just hear parts of it because if you listen to the end part of when she's talking to him it just sounds like a fiance talking to her you know to her soon-to-be husband i think i think he was meant to be there the whole time i think he was too because he definitely sits her down and says to her i know everything yeah yeah and i could have bloody slapped so <laughs> because he is basically saying to her look i love this family they let me in and they could let you in too just don't hurt them and that's when i knew he knew and he basically sort of saying to her, just go with it. But then when Peter wakes up, it's so funny. He's like, do you want to be a putz? Yeah. <laughs> I love you, Peter. You're my godson. I love you more than anything. But you're a putz. <laughs> and he is. But like the, uh, the massive theme of the film that over, like was, I kept just getting, I kept getting feelings of, um, so when she starts falling in love with the family, I started thinking to myself, well, she's obviously fallen in love with... I'm not saying they're, like, massively rich, because on the scale of, like, social economics, I think she's probably just a tad below them. Like, she, yeah, they're definitely probably. richer than her. Yeah. It's almost like this Cinderella story. Yeah. Or, like, My Fair Lady. Yeah. Like, she's, she's, she loves this man that's in a, in a coma that she doesn't even know. And she's sort of thinking about a life that she could have with him and with them. She wants to better herself, which isn't a bad thing. We should all aspire to, you know, to be better than, you know, what we are. I like to get worse. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you've plateaued. You've hit your... <laughs> <laughs> I peaked too early. <laughs> yeah, you did. There's nothing down, like, you know, <laughs> in 20 years' time, you're going to be in the gutter. <laughs> oh, God. Selling my baby for crack. 
But it's almost like she's looking to transform her life through lying. And it's not, it's definitely not intentional. But then you've got people like Sol and like her boss who are like facilitating this lie. Yes. And I agree, I agree. That it makes her, it makes her look moral because it puts her above them. Like she's on the moral high ground. But it also shows that these stock characters, these side characters are almost sort of like endorsing codependency. And I'm thinking this isn't healthy. And that's one of the problems I have with the film is that she's looking to better herself in terms of through this guy, but not intentionally. But it's almost like these other characters are sort of endorsing the lie by saying to her, if you go along with it, you are... Or even like you should go along with it because you need them. And also you're in this now because you're lying. Whereas if I was her friend, I would turn around to her and say, I'll come with you. Let's go to the house. Let's sit them all down and explain the situation. Yeah, definitely. I would not say to them, you might as well go along with it. Especially the biggest person I think is at fault here is Sol. Because when he says to them, says to her, don't hurt them. And then also later on when he says, just go with it. I think maybe you can kind of read it as he can see how it's going to play out. You know, he's like the kind of otherworldly godfather that <laughs> knows that everything's gonna gonna work out in the end. Yeah, see, I would like to see it like that because I do believe you. I think he thinks that it's gonna run its course, you know, once Peter wakes up, the lie is gonna be found out anyway. So just go with it. I think really, if you think about it, Sol could easily have just sat is it Elsie, the nana? Elsie down and just, you know, told her calmly what was going on. So there was no need for this whole, like, she's going to have a heart attack. <laughs> but you know in the putz scene, you know he calls Peter a putz, I honestly thought he was just going to go to Peter and say to him, look, the reason why you can't remember her is because this happened and this happened. Now do yourself a favour and do her a favour and just tell, tell her that you know and then just tell the parents that you agreed that this isn't going to work. Just, just tell them you've woken up and you've had an epiphany that you don't want to be with her anymore. I mean, on a on a small level, it's kind of like, you know those films that are really frustrating where you know that the whole misunderstanding could be resolved if someone just explained something? <laughs> yeah. You know, and you sort of think, for God's sake, just tell them you went to that party or you, you know, accidentally did this or that. But because they lie, it all gets a bit like, ah! And I get that the whole point of this film is that it's meant to un- unfurl that way. And I'm not mad at it. But you do sort of think, everyone, like you said, everyone's making it worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Saying that, though, the side characters, I think, because you know what? In most rom-coms, the side characters, to me, are either there just to kind of, um, you know, just to have filler, or they're there to show what the other characters don't have. So, like, you know, like in When Harry Met Sally, you've got, um, is it Carrie Fisher? I haven't seen that film in ages. I think it's Carrie Fisher. Or is it Jamie Lee Curtis? Hmm. Anyway, it's one of them. <laughs> and they get to get that's um Meg Ryan's friend. Yeah. And she gets she gets together with um Billy Crystal's friend. So the whole way through the movie, they're all falling in love and being all lovey dovey, whereas uh Harry and Sally, like their lives are just completely down the pan half the time. So it builds like a contrast. But other than that, they're not really there for any reason to drive the plot. Whereas in this one, I feel like every single side character is either there for like pure entertainment value and they're, you know, I wouldn't cut them out. Or they're there to, like you said, like <laughs> help the uh, help the plot. Yeah, all I agree with that, but all but Soul. Like I think Soul, he is. You're hating on Soul today. No, 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 no. The opposite. <laughs> I, I like Soul. I I like him. I I think he 
is there for a reason and it almost and i think that's what annoys me the most though is because i think he is the one that lucy connects with the most in terms of the fact that he knows that she's lying because like, they're both lying they're both you know part of this lie now that they connect on a different level before she actually tells the truth she's still mean because like she's almost holding herself back from the family yeah whereas she can be a selfless soul even like you know at the end when when she's like so sort it out yeah <laughs> and she goes one way then he goes the other way. <laughs> it's like yes i'll come with you now <laughs> but i find him so in the moments where i want him to step up like in the putt scene i'm like yeah you tell him soul and then like tell him what's what and tell him you know what how this should play out and he doesn't i'm like oh soul you should you could have easily sorted this out like so many times you let me down but maybe he's on the same wavelength as lucy he doesn't want her to lose them i suppose yeah in the way that she doesn't want to lose them so in a way it's kind of like her an extension of her feelings but these these characters even though they are sort of stock and they are part of the trope and they're there to you know facilitate the plot they do surprise me like i was totally surprised when jack sits his dad down to tell him that he doesn't want to be part of the business anymore i was so expecting him to like you know fly off the handle yeah and then when he doesn't i was i know jack was surprised but i was as well i was thinking first of all i was like oh that's so nice you know that he he wants his son to go and be successful and do what he wants to do and it also, I think it was also there to tell us, the audience as well, that, you know, honestly is the best policy. You know, you, if you just sit down and tell people how you feel and like your true emotions, it's better than, you know, telling people what they want to hear. It's funny, really, because Jack and Lucy actually have quite similar arcs in the yeah, movie. Yeah, definitely. Different situations, but similar arcs. Like, yeah. during one conversation they have, you know, they call themselves out on it. He's like, you know, you're sat at home in an apartment planning holidays you never take sort out and she's like well you're the one still working in a business you don't want to be in but I like that I love I love their relationship they're so honest with each other from the very get obviously she's having to lie about Peter but everything else is is genuine I think oh yeah she's never lying about herself and it's only and it's only when Jack is underhanded and goes behind her back to try and find out you know who she is and what she's about yeah that, that you know that he gets the wrong information like you know him him arriving at a flat and Joe Jr. is like <laughs> <laughs> in her closet <laughs> I have to say, I didn't like the whole uh, side story that Joe Jr. likes to dress up in women's clothes. <laughs> um, to be fair, I never really found it that deep when I was younger. I suppose looking, look, watching it these days, you sort of think, eh, played for laughs. It's not really that funny, but like, thing is, that, but I don't think it, I don't take it any deeper than what it is. Like, I don't I'm not. I'm not saying that the screenwriter and the director are trying to say that this is, you know, he's closeted because he's literally in the closet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying that and I don't think I think it's just a little side quirk that this beefy you know sort of Chicago bred manly man has but um when she opens the door and she's like are you trying on my shoes hey I just just fell into it it's just (laughs) my foot it slipped and (laughs) I love it I love it when he comes to her door and he's all upset and she's like come on Joe do you want to try on some of my shoes because it shows it shows that she's accepting of him and his you know his quirks too that's the thing i think that's the difference between peter and jack is that peter judges everyone on their outward appearance and you know thinks oh as long as they look pretty and act pretty then they're they're wonderful people whereas 
Jack is a bit more like looking for something a bit deeper. He judges judges himself as well. He like judges other people, judges he judges himself, and he sort of thinks to himself because that's the whole thing. I think that's the whole thing that skews me out. You know, when he sort of like wakes up and then his family tells him he's with this girl, and he's sort of like. Oh, I've had an epiphany. I want to be a. I want to be a better person. And why not be a better person with you? Because you're here right now. I just love it when he can't remember Lucy. He's like, "Who are you?" And the doctor's like, "Oh, he might have amnesia." <laughs> and Ox is just like, "He has amnesia." <laughs> <laughs> I love Ox. He's so. Me too. <laughs> he's not in it enough, but he's so like. I think Peter Ball has his ability to be to be. Peter Ball is the perfect straight man. You know, in comedy duos, there's often a straight man who doesn't get as many laughs as what the funny guy would. It's like Penn and Teller. Yeah. Like, Penn gets all the laughs because Teller's just sort of like, is the straight man to uh, Penn's wackiness. But Peter Ball has the ability to play the straight guy, but get the laugh at the same time. (laughs) God rest his soul. Yeah, because even the part where they're being honest to each other with each other, him and Jack... When he turns around and says, I wish you had told me sooner because I could have sold, sold the business. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even that made me laugh. <laughs> I think it's a bit of a dick move that Jack brings him donuts and then doesn't give him any. No, I think it's a dick move that he brings him Dunkin' Donuts, which are the worst sort of donuts. Because I, I was taking notes. I literally wrote down, Dunkin' Donuts, Jack, what are you playing at? Where's the Krispy Kremes? They can't afford Krispy Kremes. <laughs> oh, talking of donuts and like product placement, you know the bit where she opens the fridge and there's that lingering shot of the Baskin and Robbins? Oh, yeah. I was thinking, oh, that, oh, that's the worst product placement in the entire film. Can we talk about the scene where Lucy goes, she finds um, the hospital will give her a bag of all of Peter's things, obviously assuming that she's his partner. And she takes them home and finds the, uh, the can of tuna. <laughs> And she's like, oh my God, it's a cat. So she goes to his apartment, um, which also shows as well that she's not creepy because if you were a stalker and someone gave you the keys to your beloved's flat, you'd go around there and start snooping around, wouldn't you? Oh, definitely, yeah. I I definitely would. (laughs) The only reason that she, like, thinks to go to his flat is to feed the cat. Not that I'm a stalker, but... (laughs) (laughs) I just care about the cat. (laughs) Would Um, that immediately jump to mind, though? I don't know if it would with me. I know you're you're a cat owner, so maybe it would for you, but I don't know whether or not if I looked through a briefcase and found a can of tuna, I would immediately think that's for a cat. I think, well, she's got a cat as well. Oh, yeah, see, there you go, cat owners. See, you all stick together. (laughs) But the, the, the scene when you go to his apartment just tells you everything. Did you notice when she walks in, there's a framed black and white headshot of him on the coffee table? Well, and also, did you notice that when she looked through his briefcase anyway in his wallet, there's yeah, only pictures of him? Pictures of him! <laughs> <laughs> Which is so sad! But it also, I also thought to myself, are you a model? Like, this is my headshot. Yeah. This is me I, playing I, tennis. <laughs> I can't tell if it's, like, really funny because he's so vain, or if it's really sad that he just doesn't, like, have anyone else to have pictures of. Not even his cat. <laughs> <laughs> I found it funny because... Or Ashley. Yeah, I found it funny because of the pictures in the wallet. But I took it as in it added more fuel to the fire that he sort of separated himself from his family. But it's, it's definitely sad. But why wouldn't there be pictures of him and Ashley? I mean, it sounds like they've been in a, like a, a, a long-term relationship. But she is married. He, d- he knows they're married. She's married, yeah. Yeah, he knows that, yeah. Cheeky monkey. Honestly, like one of the nicest things about about the film is that it takes so much time to build Jack and Lucy's relationship in so many, especially recent films. 
the characters, they end up hating each other, which mm, Jack and Lucy kind of do. Like, Jack's suspicious of her, but she doesn't not like him. You know, in, in most films, they, they hate each other. And for the first half of the film, they're like, oh, like scrapping. And then they have a big dramatic kiss or they, you know, something will happen and they'll fall in love. And you just think, that's not what real life is like, though. I get that films aren't real life. Like, everyone knows that. But sometimes I just want to see a nice, you know, relationship form where I believe it. What I like about, because like I said, I did not like Jack to begin with. But once he stopped this snooping, you know, he stopped all the snooping. Because that was only, (laughs) to be fair to the film, it was only maybe 10, 15 minutes spent to him trying to find out, you know, if she's lying or not. Which, to be fair, she is. (laughs) I love love that the reason he stopped snooping is because she tells him about the pencil. (laughs) (laughs) Now, my mind wouldn't jump, immediately jump to that, to that place in terms of like... No, me neither. <laughs> but uh, it's a pretty impressive lie. It shows you can think on her feet. But to your point, once he stops the whole snooping part and then we see moments where they just click, they connect on a deeper level than just looks and superficiality, which is how she's, you know, um, connected with Peter. She sees this guy and she's just immediately taken by him because he's so gorgeous, apparently. Whereas Jack, she doesn't have that. She doesn't look him straight away and think, you know, you're gorgeous. It's just someone that she has to cooperate with. And then you realise that they start connecting all these little things. But then I do enjoy the part right at the end when, so you have the wedding and it all comes out. Uh, In my mind, I think maybe a month or a couple of months has passed. For me, that's key to their relationship in that it took those couple of months or maybe even less for him to think, no, I do love you. And in my mind, I think the family pushed him as well. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That's why why I liked that they're there at the end with him. Yeah, a lot of people, when I read reviews, didn't like that. Oh, I disagree. But I think it's just perfect because even though obviously she's not getting with Jack just because of the family, it's true that when you get with somebody, like, you have to marry their family too. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you, you can't just... You're not an island with them. So I think it's lovely and the fact that they approve and the fact that also, obviously, she lies to all of them. So at the end, you need to know that they forgive her too. As, yeah, so the words out of my mouth. I, I can't believe people would not like that because you're, you're right. It's it's not a bit about the fact that she's just lied to uh, Jack. She's lied to them as well. And and I can't believe that people didn't pick up on that because that's the whole thing about what Sol was saying. Sol was saying, you know, you're not just... <laughs> Sorry, I just, <laughs> I just had a flashback to the wedding when... Um when she's giving the speech and like kind of explaining herself and she's like, Oh, I, I wanted to tell you, but I ended, I ended up falling in love with you. And Ox is like, you fell in love with me. <laughs> I was like, yeah, Peter Ball in your shiny head. <laughs> but, um, while while we're there, I have to say, like, I know this line is cheesy, but it did make me choke up. You know, and she said, because, well, it made me choke up and laugh because, you know, what it says, I might have saved your life on the track that day. And I thought to myself, I know what's coming. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> but the truth is, you saved mine. And I was, I was like, oh, God. So cheesy, but oh, God. It is, though. It's, but it is true. I mean, for all we know, she could have spiraled into a deep depression or or maybe not so, you know, literal, but... A life without family and love to her isn't a life, is it? So really, they saved her from being dead inside. <laughs> yeah, and and that's, and that's why it is so important that the family is there at the end. Because, for, like I said to you earlier, uh, for me, this film is more so to do with the fact that she wants to improve her life. And also, because if you look at it in terms of like 
why she's in Chicago. She's there because her dad had to move when he got ill and had to, they, they took him to a research hospital because they obviously they're looking for a cure, but there was no cure for him. until he was like prodded and poked. She lost all her money because she had to spend on this hospital. She can't go back to school because she can't fund anything. So now she has to... Because I find it quite sad because obviously they sold... They would have sold the house in Milwaukee for money. So she has nowhere to go back to. So she's literally stuck. So she, she has no one. She's lost all her family. And it's nice because Jack... Obviously Jack's dad isn't dead. But Jack's also in that situation where he feels like the family obligation exactly yeah is is stopping him from because he wants to be a furniture designer yeah and maker and he can't because he's got this obligation to his family and she can't she couldn't go off and do what she wanted to do because she had the obligation to look after her dad when he was ill so they've got they've got so much in common it's all different situations but they've written it so well that they kind of they can relate to each other on every level it's so nice and he never i mean i don't know for sure obviously but it does seem like you can kind of infer from it that jack hasn't really had many relationships either like romantic romantic ones that's what i take from that because he's too busy um having to take the load from his dad and keep this business going that he has no time for himself so he's probably quite lonely too in terms of love to the love even though even though and actually to go back to the ice scene because because i did mention how i feel like the film sort of puts codependency as a coping mechanism. And in my opinion, sometimes codependency can be unhealthy. But that scene, because if you notice, so we're talking about, you know, the guy that takes a dive on the ice and then the paper boy takes a dive, they're on their own. So it, when Lucy and Jack are holding on to each other on the ice, they're, they're stable, they're able to stay up. And it's only when they pull away from each other that they both fall over. Oh, I love it so much. That's why that scene is important to me. Also, it's the one scene that I jumped back to in my mind when the film ended. I thought to myself, that is the lesson that the director wants you to take away from that. That, you know, when you're on your own, you can fall and you can fall hard. But if you have someone there to be able to help you up, it's more about the fact that they can help you from falling rather than the fact that you need them. Doesn't, doesn't, she, drag, doesn't she drag him off in the end? Off the ice, he doesn't he fall over and break his <laughs> break his trousers she, open? Yeah, she sort of pulls him along. I took it rather than because even though not to hate on Soul because I do love Soul, but he definitely the way he says to her, "You need to keep the lie going for the family." I took that as in more of the fact that they're relying on you and you're relying on them, and in my mind that was unhealthy. But her and Jack is the one example where I feel like it is healthy. Like you just said, you've got these two lonely people and the fact that they can find each other in a, in a, uh, not a non-superficial way and more on a deeper level that, you know, they almost bond over the fact that they have so many aspirations and are lonely, which I suppose sounds unhealthy, but what I mean by that is that it took for them to be on the same level for them to find themselves rather than like, if Jack was successful, would he be more willing and open to finding someone like Lucy? Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? But I don't know. I feel like just their personalities mesh. Yeah, that too. Really well. Also, I, what I really like about the film as well is that this is a very, very silly note. But the way she dresses is atrocious. <laughs> I like. See, I like it because I dress atrociously too. No, I agree. Because when Joe Junior says to her, "Hey, I like your uh... <laughs> sweater." <laughs> <laughs> Lucy, you need to, you know, to up your wardrobe. It's going to take you to the ice capades. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I, I think it says a lot 
that she can dress like shit the whole way through the film and Jack still thinks she's like bee's knees. You know, she doesn't need to be all designer. When you look at what Ashley wears, she wears all like suits and high heels the whole way through. I took that definitely in the fact that she's poor. (laughs) Oh, really? I don't know. I thought it was just kind of... She likes to be comfy. I think I think it's a bit of both because you know the dress at the end. I I always thought you know when she goes to the wedding. I always thought that's a dress that was her mum's and not you know that she bought. Yeah, I'm not sure if that was meant to be her well, mum's or not. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's but, definitely um, it's definitely horrible though. But my, yeah, it's horrible. But I think that's quite funny though. It's quite charming. <laughs> um, but I think uh, one of my favourite bits is like when they're walking through after they've brought the sofa back to his apartment and. Um, he, he gets his car, his van locked in, so they have to walk. And um, they're walking back through, and he's saying, like, you know, your coat, your coat's got loads of holes in it. And she's like, but it's my dad's coat. So she's like, she holds on to like, the sentiment of, of clothes more. Yeah. Rather than, I mean, obviously she's cold, because <laughs> the coat is crap. <laughs> yeah. But she, she's, she misses her dad so much that she would wear it, which I think is quite sweet, really. As long as it's not his underpants. <laughs> God, can you imagine? <laughs> I think the coat thing is, is really sweet. I think it's the sort of thing that someone like Jack would do. For him, the, the business is his coat. Like It's almost like he's holding on to the business because he feels a, a loyalty to his dad. And that if he was to let it go, in terms of like for him to, you know, to follow his dream and leave the business... He's he's scared of what would happen to his dad. Like, you know, would this sort of end him, basically? One of my favourite bits in the whole, like, what's the word? Courtship of the two is um, towards the end. I think it's just before... I think Peter's already proposed to Lucy and Jack's gone round to, um, I think, just speak to her. I'm not really sure. But um, he gives her that snow globe with, with Florence inside it, which to me is like... Any any single, well, or even in a relationship, woman or man watching it, that's when you're just like, Bill, <laughs> marry me. <laughs> I, know, I know she gives him the opportunity to sort of tell her. But he's loyal to his brother, isn't he? He thinks, he thinks that she thinks that she loves Peter. But I almost wanted her to, because that's what got me. I was thinking, like, Lucy, I know you want him to step up and tell you how he feels you're right he's not going to say that because he thinks that you're his brother's fiance so really I've, i really wanted to push her in that moment and say look you do it this is your perfect moment to say to him i've been lying and this is why but i really do love you because like it's sweet that even though he doesn't step up in a way it's because he look that's because he loves her because he wants her to be happy yeah but i almost think he would have been in the right frame of mind to hear the truth at that point this is why I think Ox is so important as a side character, because when he has that talk, when Jack has that talk with Peter Boyle and he turns around to him and says, you know, I wish you had told me sooner. I think it opened him up emotionally to think that when he finds out that she has been lying, because it could have gone really bad. If you found out someone that you've fallen in love with has been lying to you for like, you know, a week or so, Mm. you would be heartbroken. You could be like, well, how can I trust you ever again? But the fact that yeah. he doesn't, and then it obviously gives gives some time to think about it and then realise that he does love her. But I think if she had said it to him before he had this the talk, because as far as he knows, in his head, you, you have to keep lying. You have to, you know, do stuff that you don't want to do. I have to work for my dad because, you know, there's no other choice. That's life. Yeah, that's life. So if she had stepped up at that moment, I don't think he would have been ready to hear it. No. Oh, oh, Jack. 
but what I'll I'll end it with something that I think is very funny. So do you ever watch um do you ever watch everything wrong with videos? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> whenever a character says the title of the film, <laughs> they always go, roll credits. <laughs> and at the end she goes, Oh, um Peter once asked me when it was that I fell in love with Jack and I told him it was while he was sleeping and I was like, Roll credits! <laughs> do you know what it's so funny you bring that up because um i always because i i do actually like it when the title of the film is mentioned within the film yeah because i, I always it. think to myself sometimes it's good sometimes it's bad and sometimes you can't it doesn't logically like for instance you know like um the bond film quantum of solace yeah right so quantum is the organization in the film but i always thought to myself if they ever shoehorned in the full title, it would be so awkward. Oh my god! Could you imagine? Because like Bond sort of saying, "They're a quantum, a quantum of solace." Oh. <laughs> 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 but I think in this film it really fits. I really, I really like it. Oh no, I like it. I it like wraps it too. Things up so nicely because the actual because actually the the title of the film I never actually thought too much about it because I always just thought you know it happens while he's sleeping but the fact that at the end it actually sort of way worked it into the the film i was like oh no that actually is quite a logical title for a film like you know it was while you were sleeping i mean it's cheesy as hell but... oh definitely yeah <laughs> but i like it <laughs> it's better than bloody you got mail or sleepers in seattle <laughs> yeah but to bring it you know full circle like i said like the music at the beginning it got me straight into the film like i was like oh yeah and you know what after that it was used in loads of other films the one that comes to mind first is um parent trap at the end the lindsay lohan (gasps) lindsay lohan one yes you're right they use it loads in the rest for the rest of the 90s that song was like the shit (laughs) i love it i love it i listen to it all the time i love it but then like so to end it on that sort of cheesy note with her sort of saying you know oh it's while you were sleeping because she said she said it quite also quite simply as well yeah yeah like it's not it's like it's not like she's sort of they were like right Sandra we need to you know sit you down <laughs> you, need to, you need to you know say the title of the film it was wow you were sleeping <laughs> it's kind of creepy isn't it yeah <laughs> I think while you were in a coma size of it <laughs> yeah it was after you got knocked out <laughs> would you rent a film that was called while you were in a coma <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like more like a thriller it does <laughs> So yes, it, I, I I'm glad I'm glad that you enjoyed it. Was so for the for the negative points, was it just Saul that pissed you off? Or was it, did you have anything else? So let's get into that. At the end of the podcast, we like to summarize our overall thought. I do have a few negatives that I did want to say for the overall thoughts. Um, I don't know. I think it was mainly the film felt formulaic in terms of like how there was definitely all the ingredients there for successful rom com. And that, for me, that's both a negative and a positive. But I don't know if I'm being unfair to the film and to like film genres in general. Yeah, yeah there's not. It's not your favorite genre, is it? Let's be honest. <laughs> I think that's. I think that's probably what it is. So because when you sort of have all the ingredients for another genre, it makes you feel comfortable. It makes you feel like I know what I'm going into. Because I like that. As, as a film viewer, I like to go into a film knowing what I'm going to get. And often when I leave a film, it's often because I didn't get what I wanted that I always always have a negative impression, which is also sometimes bad when you're analysing a film because you don't want to go into preconceived notions. However, even though I feel like 
it was formulaic in terms of like I recognised who everyone was and what the ingredients for a successful rom-com was. Do I like the film because I'm a Sandra Bullock fan? Or did I like the film? That's where I come from it. So I've got sort of like, I'm stuck in two camps and I can't decide which is which. I think if they were to recast the entire movie, it would be slightly less good. Although I do, I would argue that the writing is a massive, like a 75% of oh, why it's so I, good. I stand by what I said. It, it, the, the writing is impeccable and the the characters are just so natural. Those Those actors being in it is definitely helpful. But I don't think I would hate the movie if it wasn't them. Like, if it was somebody like, oh, I don't know. If, yeah, say it was Meg Ryan, I probably wouldn't be as keen. I thought, I know I, I know I wouldn't be as keen. I don't like Meg Ryan. But, no, nor do I. It's probably a bad <laughs> Okay, like, maybe like Julia Roberts or something. Who was originally cast, wasn't she? That's the one bit of trivia I did look up. Oh, was she? Oh, did she not know that? No, she's too, she's too tall for Bill Pullman. <laughs> yeah, I, the one bit of trivia I did see when I was just looking up when because I wanted to get a sort of sense of where Sandra Bullock was in her career at the time so I did a bit of googling but the film was offered to Julia Roberts she turned it down so then they uh, got Sandra Bullock oh no I did know that because she wanted to be in um America's Sweethearts didn't she that was it did she yeah I know (laughs) just a little small tangent um but I don't think Julia Roberts is as good a great actress as people think she is so Yeah, I I don't. She's great in what she does, but for me, she's a Michael Caine. In that, Michael Caine is you hire Michael Caine to be Michael Caine. Yeah, I think Emma Roberts is the better Roberts. But anyway, hot take there. She's good at what she does. Yeah, but to be fair, Sandra Bullock's a bit like that too, isn't she? But but maybe it's I find Sandra Bullock more entertaining in what she does. (laughs) You like her brand. Yeah, I like her brand. It's funny though because whenever anyone says Michael Caine, all I can think of is my cocaine <laughs> and i'm like what about your cocaine <laughs> that's my charlie <laughs> i do think I, I had a little look at kind of the user ratings and you know top 10 lists and everything of rom-coms and that why you were sleeping doesn't appear on any i think it appeared on one of them and that was like number 10 or number nine of course they they are all like splash harry met sally blah 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 um which i, I was expecting and I'm, I'm a bit confused as to why it's not better known because it's got a really good cast. It's got quite a lot of popular tropes and, you know, kind of story mechanics as all the rest of the films that are out at that time. But they all did a lot better. And I'm wondering if it's because the the cast aren't quite as well known at that time. I think that's what it is. Because if you think about it, you know, Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan, everyone else, they all kind of came to fruition in the 80s, didn't they? So by the mid 90s, they were like bankable. Like, you know, you go, oh, do you want to go see the new Meg Ryan film? Whereas if... You said to somebody, oh, do you want to go see the new Bill Pullman film or the next Sandra Bullock film? If they hadn't seen Speed, they're not really going to care, are they? I I definitely agree because um, I could be wrong, but when I was doing my research, so for instance, a film that I compare this to is only because, I think it's because it's more recent, it's one of my favourite rom-coms. You know The Proposal, which has Sandra Bullock and Ryan Reynolds. Oh, yeah. So they're both lying in that film as well. And they're lying that they are a married couple or soon to be married couple. Engaged, Engaged, yeah. but they're not. Now, the proposal went on to become Sandra Bullock's fourth highest grossing film in her career. Really? And I'm pretty sure that I read that this was also in that top four. Oh, really? I could be wrong about that. Hmm. 
Well, I'm not. I'm not surprised in terms of having watched the film and knowing how good it is. <laughs> now, Bill Pullman is he an established actor at this point? Um, I think he start. I think after this, the year after he did Casper, and then he did Independence Day the year after. I think. Oh, so maybe he might not be. Oh, sorry. No, sorry. He'd been in um, Sleepers in Seattle. Kind of well known, but as I said, he was the full guy in that. So. Oh, so I think the film might have been successful off the success of him and i know because speed was really uh, well received as well and it got seen by a lot of people so maybe people that especially sort of maybe girlfriends that were dragged to see that film <laughs> would then know sandra bullock and be like well you, we, we went to see that i want to go see this now <laughs> i think to be honest a lot of people like this film more than they'd like to admit <laughs> that too and i i think but I definitely think it would have done even better if it was Sandra Bullock now. Yeah. So like if it was, yeah, she's so bankable now that it might have been more well received by critics and audiences alike. Because Proposal was awful, was ish. It was ish received. It wasn't great, but it did grow so much money. It's funny because I was looking up on IMDb about to see if there was a rom-com top, you know, top 100 or whatever. But there wasn't. There was only a romance or a comedy, which I thought was a bit strange because rom-com is quite a... I know it's a hybrid, but it is pretty much its own genre, isn't it? Like, yeah, I always put them together anyway because romantic films are often funny anyway. It's no? very established. Um, anyway, so I had a look. Um, on the romance list, you've got things like La La Land, Some Like It Hot, Princess Bride. Uh, they've got Groundhog Day and Annie Hall, both of which I really like. But um, it's funny because on both lists, on the comedy and the romance list, Amelie was really high which I thought was really interesting because the plot of Amelie is fairly similar to While You Were Sleeping you know she she lusts after this guy that she doesn't know she kind of masquerades to try and get him but maybe because it's French it's more charming to people I don't know but it's funny that a film that's so kind of similar will be really really high but but our one but While You Were Sleeping is like nowhere to be seen i think what it is rom-coms and comedies in general are looked down upon and i'm guilty as well is that you can look at them and think that they're made on a budget and like a small budget rather than compared to like a sort of big blockbuster or even like a, a film that has more money thrown at it and i think it's because you do sort of cast less established names you might have sort of like one established name and, and one that isn't because i look at you know like monster in law yeah have you seen that you know so you've got jane fonda and jennifer lopez now they're they're your big movie stars that you're going to put in that film but it's they also have michael varton in it who at the at that time was only known for alias which was on tv i think he was in never been kissed as well wasn't he with drew barrymore oh has he yeah but i mean he was pretty bland in that. Yeah, I mean, he's pretty bland. Yeah, he is. Bless his little heart. <laughs> I, I find him totally endearing, but I think he's a bit bland. But my point is, so like with Sandra Bullock and Bill Pullman, Bill Pullman's going to be the bigger name on that list, even though Sandra would probably go on to eclipse Bill's career. <laughs> I think that's probably why you might overlook the film in terms of like, it's pretty bog standard to sort of see a rom-com and think that Sandra Bullock would be cast in that. Yes. Whereas if you look at the film now with modern eyes and you see Bill Pullman and Sandra Bullock, you'd be like, well, I don't really want to watch a film with Bill Pullman. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, bless him. I mean, I, I'll always have a soft spot for Bill, but I watched The Sinner the other day and uh, he has not aged well. 
No. And, but then if you were to look at, say, like, so I keep bringing the proposal up, but what I mean by that is I would think now that Ryan Reynolds and Sandra Bullock are equally established now. So if I was to look back at that film in another 10 years, that would appear, I would expect that to appear on much more lists than While You Were Sleeping, only because they're two established character uh, uh, actors that you think, oh my God, Sandra Bullock and Ryan Reynolds in a comedy? Yeah, I'm going to watch that. In a comedy? <laughs> a comedy? <laughs> But yeah, I had a look on, on the ratings just generally on the internet and Metacritic gives 67%. IMDb gives 6.7, so same, really. Rotten Tomatoes it has an 80% fresh rating. Oh, fresh. Which tells me that the people have spoken <laughs> and they love it too. Personally, like I'd give it but a 7.5. Maybe I'm a little bit biased because I know it's not perfect, but I... I love it. It's chicken, it's chicken soup for the soul. To, to uh, catch the listeners up, uh, every month we are going to judge the film on its own merit. So we'll give it a score out of five. And then it'll go on to a list of films that we'll be reviewing throughout the year. What did we give Pirates? We gave Pirates of four, didn't we? Out of five. I think it was a four, wasn't it? Was I, it? I think we gave it 4.5. So we gave it 4.5. I think you're right. that sounds right. So what would you give? Because we have to come to consensus as well, don't we? We have to agree on this. For me... I would give it a solid three. I would give it... Okay, my heart would say, like, a five. <laughs> um, <laughs> but my 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 film heart would say a four. I, but I can see where you're coming from with the three because it isn't perfect. It does have its flaws. So can we, can we make, say, a 3.5? Have a haggle? I'm willing to jump up with you to four, but because as a rom-com... I think it's pretty perfect. I know we were joking earlier that we said if it was to be remade today, they would do the whole gender swap. Yeah. Which I would actually like to see now. But I think this plot, even though you're right, that it probably might not work today with social media and blah, blah, blah. The bare bones there of a story, you could take that and put that into any situation and you've got a different type of film. So I think the fact that they've used it in a rom-com setting with all the ingredients that work... I think as a rom-com, it is impeccable. It is, it is perfect. So I'm trying to fight against the fact that I'm not maybe a massive rom-com guy against my own opinion as a film critic. So I think... But then equally, I have to, I have to remove my nostalgic bias. Yeah. Because I realise that what I love might not be actually relevant to <laughs> how good the film itself is. Let's meet in the middle, so 3.5 actually. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, love actually. People find actually. <laughs> that's a different, that's a whole other kettle of fish. <laughs> so at the moment, it would be below Pirates, which to me sounds about right, but I'm not trying to compare them because they're obviously vastly different films. But um, I don't think Pirates is going to be at the top for very long. No, I don't either. Next month, we are going into the sci fi zone. <laughs> yeah, and we'll be talking about Ex Machina. Please email us via rerated at gmail.com that's all one word rerated at gmail.com we would love to hear your thoughts opinions and reviews on the films we've discussed so far and after all that if you still have time to give us a rate review subscribe thumbs up and five star the podcast wherever you listen to us not only does this help us gain new listeners but also grow the really rated community which i know myself and jess are really passionate about so we're going to leave you here, so make sure you watch Ex Machina by time for next month. That's your homework. That's your homework. <laughs> but for now, I will say goodbye, and Jess, uh, please avoid that train. It's an express! <laughs> it's fast! <laughs> <laughs> oh, lots of love, guys. Bye!